Welcome back to Phage Therapy today. I'm your host, Stephen Young. Although Phage Therapy is still navigating through its infancy, a lot of exciting progress has been reported across the globe recently, such as conferences, government supports, clinical trials, as well as innovative engineering on phages. And these advancements are made possible with bold ideas and a careful execution by teams and leaders in our field, such as today's guest. After earning his PhD in medical microbiology, from University of Manitoba. Dr. Stephen Theriot served in various leading positions across programs in the Public Health Agency of Canada. As a synthetic biologist, his research on the Ebola virus contributed to the development of the Canadian Ebola vaccine that was a critical tool in curtailing the 2016 outbreak. And as the head of the Applied Research Program at the Canadian Science Center for Human Animal Health, Dr. Theriot worked extensively at the global level issues related to the efficacy of microbiocytes and genetic system to develop, evaluate pathogenesis in viral infectious agents. And at the same time, he's also a professor at the University of Manitoba teaching courses in microbiology, immunology, and virology. And most recently, since 2017, Dr. Theros now the CEO and CSO at Cytophage Technologies with a team lead aimed to address the antimicrobial resistance through the use of synthetic bacteriophages. So without further ado, Dr. Darius, it's a pleasure and welcome to the show. Thanks, Steve. I'm happy to be here. Very excited. Yeah, I can see now from your background, you have a very solid scientific training and background. And also Mm -hmm. it seems like at your years at the public health agency, you have always been working with infectious diseases related issues on a national and global level. So maybe talk to us a little bit first about, about those years, you know, and how you get involved from there to the bacteriophages and how it eventually leads to cytophage. Yeah, no, sure. Uh, when you were giving my, uh, my brief introduction, I was, I was reminiscing about uh, my prior career uh, being at FAC. So, so for me, again, uh, when I started as a scientist, um, it was it was something that I really enjoyed. Because again, when you're looking at science, you can move forward with your ideas. And those ideas can be impl- implicated into human health or any type of health. So I was very excited about that. So for me, my career path was fairly simple. Um, you know, when I started off my my uh, PhD, um, I already had a lot of degrees behind me. So I started off as a paramedic first, then I wanted to become a medical doctor. So I decided to go back to school and become a medical doctor. Um, but I found out I loved research a lot more than being a medical doctor. So I fell into the PhD role. And uh, from there, again, I was working at the National Microbiology Laboratory, where I was a synthetic biologist creating solutions for exotic organisms that were infectious disease related. So from Ebola all the way down to CCHF or Crimeocongan hemorrhagic fever uh, to Rift Valley fever and so on. So I had a lot of a lot of practice and a lot of, um, you know, training in these types of fields. Now, interestingly, though, when I finished my PhD, I was, again, hired at the at the federal government to produce a program, which was an applied research program. And the reason that we did that was because there was a lot of unknown questions about how we clean up and how we deal with infectious diseases that are not necessarily inside the body, but outside the body. 
And the program that we created or that I created at the public health agency was, a, again, it was a, a flagship program, the only one of its kind in the world. And from there, we were molding engineering ideas with scientific ideas to make sure that when we're working with infectious diseases, we don't have any of those contamination issues. When I was doing that, um, my boss at the time, um, Dr. Frank Plummer, uh, again, a very prominent scientist. If, if nobody has heard of him, I highly recommend looking up his career. Um, he was one of the premier scientists that changed science in Canada. So he, of course, uh, was my boss. And he said, you know, we have problems with nosocomial infections in hospitals. Come up with a solution for getting rid of those problems. Now, for me, you know, I went to the drawing board and we see that we're using a ton of chemicals and the chemicals aren't working in hospitals. How do we know they're not working? Well, we still have all of these nosocomial infections that are still being transmitted. So in my mind, I was like, well, you know, if we can't use chemicals, there has to be other means to be used in order to get rid of these infectious agents, which are contaminating our hospitals. And I came up, I came up with the idea of re-looking at bacteriophages. Now, for me, uh, I've always loved working with bacteriophages. I've always worked with them throughout my career but didn't really see a role for them in commercial products because they come with inherent problems. You know, many natural phages, one bacteria, phage, one bacteria, all kinds of other inherent issues that they could have from lysogeny all the way to, you know, transduction and so on and so forth. But what I, what I realized very quickly was because of molecular genetics, because of synthetic biology, and because of all of the tools that were now at our disposal, that phages could be used for commercial products or for, for more, let's say, aggressive approaches to deal with bacterial problems. And, um, you know, I'll, I'll give you a side story now, just a little side story about why I decided to uh, do this on my own instead of in the government. Um, when I was in the government uh, doing my PhD, we came up with a really good uh, process called self-recloning. Um, we ended up patenting it and all of that stuff through the government. Uh, because I was a student at the time, the government gave me a beautiful check for $1. Uh, they took my patents and, of course, went ahead and sold it all. Uh, so when I had this idea about developing a synthetic template or developing templates for bacteriophages, instead of going through the government, um, I decided to do this on my own. And what I did was I rented space at the university. Uh, weekends and evenings, I would work on this on my own. And I came up with the process of developing these, again, synthetic type phages um, in about let's say six years of doing this um, kind of off of the side of my desk. And uh, interestingly enough, again, it, it went very well. Um, once I realized that I had a great technology and we had a great process to move forward with bacteriophages, I decided to step out of the government and I decided to start a company, which you now hear about. It's called Cytophage. And we started it in 2016. Now, the interesting part of that, again, is um, all of my information when I started looking at phages was all on human health. So for me, human health was where I also wanted to go in. So we created products like uh, MRSA products, VRE products, C. difficile products, all that can be used not only in human patients, but also on the environment to clean up those nasty, you know, infectious agents that are sitting all over the place. And um, when we created that, I started to move into the idea of doing, you know, human trials and, you know, really pushing the product to start being used in humans. That's where I hit a big roadblock. Uh, the big roadblock was the cost. So to do a human trial, you're looking at between 10 to $40 million just to prove out your one product. 
-hmm. Now, doing this with bacteriophages is quite difficult because, again, um, as you're moving forward with bacteriophages and the costs, not a lot of people want to put money into something that they don't think will, you know, get them a, an investment return in the long run. So we, we ran into a couple of stumbling blocks. And, you know, interestingly enough, in Canada at that time, it would have been around 2000, 2001, or sorry, 2020, <laughs> 2021, somewhere in that range, um, where we were starting to talk to farmers. And in Canada, again, we've removed the use of antibiotics in our livestock. And because we've removed that use of antibiotics, the farmers had no more solutions to treat their, their chickens or their swine or their cows to get rid of these bacterial infections. So, you know, the government pulled it away, but didn't give them anything to actually to, to use instead. And that's where we fell into a very good situation where we created bacteriophages for the animal sector. And ironically enough, doing that, it allows us to create very good efficacy data in a large scale. We're treating 15,000 chickens at a time, up to 9 million a year. So again, there's lots of chickens that we're treating. And we get very good efficacy data from it. And we also get very good data about how the phages respond to our genetic modifications. So let me give you an example. If we pull out the lysogenic genes, you know, will they eventually come back through natural mutations to reestablish that genetic, you know, makeup? Um, and in our case, it doesn't happen at all. And we can see that through the process of us growing our phages and then treating chickens. And then at the end result, looking at all of the phages that come out and we can see that there's no, there's no more um, transitions back, let's say. So again, that, um, was how I started moving forward as the company. And then as soon as we ran into the agricultural field, we found sort of our, our niche. And the niche for us was uh, the first product that we wanted to develop was a salmonella product because that was a huge issue that we have in Canada, not for the chickens, again, salmonella doesn't infect chickens, but for the human population eating the chickens. Um, we have, you know, certain requirements that you have for your chickens and you have to have salmonella free or salmonella almost free. And farmers were having a tough time doing that because of the antibiotics being removed. Now, when we use our phages in, in, uh, in our chicken barns currently, we actually reduce um, salmonella transmission by over 90% and we protect the chickens from I'm going to say a lethal disease of salmonella. Again, in the laboratory, we give them a lethal dose of salmonella to ensure that we're protecting them. But in nature, you don't usually see that. So, um, you know, in nature, we see them just not transmitting salmonella. And then the end products, of course, are salmonella free after that. Now, jumping forward, we realize as well, the animal sector is kind of the sector Let's call it the, the soft underbelly of, of uh, phage research. And the reason I'm saying that is because getting into the marketplace is a lot easier than getting into humans. However, I do want to say getting into the marketplace in Canada is extremely difficult. Um, for agriculture. For agriculture, for our human health, for all kinds of reasons. Um, unfortunately, Canada is not a very um, phage open country yet. No. Uh, let me let me explain that a little bit. So one of the issues that we run into now is that we have to register our product in Canada to to be able to sell it. In order to do that, uh, the Canadian Food Inspection Agency, as well as the Vet Drug Directorate, has decided that bacteriophages are classified as drugs. This is a huge issue because um, we're not a drug. Um, doing drug experiments on phages is not only a waste of time, but it's a waste of resources as well as animals because it doesn't give you anything. I'll give you an example. Um, they wanted me to do an LD50 
on phages. Not sure how you do an LD50 on phages, because again, phages are non-toxic except to the bacteria. Right. So you see the issues that I'm, I run into. Now, talking with the government, um, we were hoping that we could get them to understand that we actually require a phage reference document as opposed to a drug reference document. And if we did that, then all of the questions that they had about phages, we could answer that are particular for phages. And then they could remove all of the other garbage that's not needed for drug certification that weren't because we're not a drug, right? Unfortunately, um, working with the government has been long, tedious and slow. Um, and that, of course, has made my company change direction a little bit. So I'm a proud Canadian, super proud Canadian. I wanted this product to be open in Canada first, but the regulatory process is going to take probably another two years from now and cost me about another $2 million. And it's just not worth it, unfortunately, as a company to do that. So what we've done as a company is we've moved international. And I'm really happy to say that we're going to be selling our product in places like Bangladesh and Malaysia, South Korea, Australia. Um, we're moving into the EU as well because there are a lot more um, understanding of how phages work. And uh, the process is just a lot easier uh, moving outside of Canada. So, again, I'm, I'm, it, it kills me to say that, but um, it's something that we have to move forward with the Canadian government and try to lobby them so they understand what phages are and kind of do all of that legwork that we have to do to get them to understand what's going on in order for them to start or change the regulation processes so we can then use phages in Canada. And um, that's kind of where we are now um, for, for the Canadian market. For the other markets, again, the company's doing really well. Um, we're, in, we're on board to be treating about 400 million chickens a year. And from there, we're moving into mastitis for cows. We're moving into strepsuis for pigs. Um, and then it just keeps on getting bigger. Actually, we're moving into aquaculture as well with uh, Vibrio and other um, finfish that are having issues with bacterial problems. So, you know, when, as a round sort of uh, around global look at bacteriophages, there's a lot of uses that we can do, but we need the governments to catch up with us to ensure that they're not over-regulating us for no reason. Right. Wow. Sorry, that was a lot of talking there. <laughs> that was that was amazing, and you know, it's it's really impressive. And congratulations on all those you know adapting, but successes, progress you're making. But you know, I gotta say, Doctor Thera is 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 amazing to have guests like you. You know, I, I ask one question, and the information just keep flowing to me. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. No, I talk a lot. <laughs> That's great, and um, but you might find you know, dial back on the clock and ask, ask you a few questions along those way. All those things you mentioned. Yeah. yeah. So I guess the first thing that got, caught my eye is when's the first time you start, you, you mentioned that what got you interested to bacteriophages is actually the, the containment problem is probably in hospital. You have, uh, you have infections and you're trying to use bacteriophages. And, and when was this? Which year was this? So when I started doing treatments, it would have been in 2017 when I broke off from the Canadian government and started to do in-house field tests using our phages. So, you know, to give you an example, one of the ideas that we had at the beginning was if we have an MRSA phage, we have a biofilm and that biofilm stops phages as well, stops, you know, everything. But if we could get through that biofilm, then we could kill the bacteria. And that's that's the, one of the biggest problems we have with nosocomial infections is that there are those bacterial defenses 
we have to break through them first. So, you know, I'll jump around a little bit and say, if you're using bleach, you're basically pushing the bacteria around, you're killing the top ones, but you're not getting underneath and killing anything underneath that biofilm. And that's why they're still there. So what I did was I genetically engineered a open reading frame in my MRSA product phage. And when I did that, I could get my phage to produce uh, dispersin B, just as an example, as an enzyme, which breaks down biofilms. And when we do our treatment, we have both a phage that will kill the bacteria and a phage that releases dispersin B. So you break down the biofilm and then reach the bacteria underneath as well. So that was the initial product that I created. Now, going to a hospital and saying, hey, I'm going to give you this to spray and this is what it does. They're like, wow, it's amazing. So interesting. But unfortunately, we have a 10 year contract with Clorox bleach. So we can't use any other disinfectants unless it's a chemical based bleach product. Mm -hmm. So that's one of the issues that I ran into. And when I ran in, into that issue, I, you know, there's two things that you can do. You can fight and, and, you know, try to try to get through those 10 year contracts, or you can shift and use your technology to help in a different area. And that's what I did. Um, again, shifting to the animal sector where we can show phages work really, really well. And then I can move back to the human sector in the hospitals after we have all of that really good data. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And, and then I want to dive into the scientific part a little bit, but, you know, feel free to stop if, you know, there's some information on the hope, you know. Um, so you basically engineered these phages. Uh, so I guess my first question is, uh, and it sounds like you're actually targeting different bacterial species. Um, so do you, do you identify different isolates or a specific isolate of a bacterial phage that can target a bacterial species? and then do engineering on different phages actually? Or do you actually have one template phage that you use but you redirect a target? Yep, uh, great question. We actually do both. So the template technology where you create a fully synthetic phage is easy to talk about and easy to conceptualize, but when you're running it in science experiments, you run into a lot of problems and issues. Now, what do I mean by those problems and issues? Well, if you're using a bacteriophage that normally only infects gram positives, and you try to get it to infect a gram negative, you have to change a lot of its internal structures to do that. So instead of changing all of those internal structures, I just start with a phage that does gram negatives. And then I can change the attachment regions or the binding domains. And again, you know, as a phage scientist yourself, you know that these could be simple as one gene, or they could be as complicated as 20 genes that all put together the binding domain. So it depends on what product we're trying to create and what bacterial infection that we're trying to get rid of. So the way that we start it now is that we come up with the issue. So somebody says, you know, Stephen, I need you to create a bacteriophage for, uh, let's say, you know, Clostridium uh, provingiensis, which is a, um, you know, a problem in chickens. So then we look at the bacteriophage, or sorry, we look at the bacteria and determine how the phages normally bind to them. We'll find phages that work in nature that may have, you know, toxins or, or lysogenic genes or something along that lines within their genetic makeup. And we'll use that as a starting point. Now, that starting point, we then, again, modify the things that we want to remove and we put in the genes that we want. And then again, we try to attack the, uh, the bacterial cell and see how our modifications have either promoted the killing or decreased the amount of, of killing that we get. And then it's just a numbers game. We just keep working it out in the lab and we end up with a product that is, you know, genetically modified or also environmentally modified to deal with the bacterial problem that we have. Does wow. that kind of 
give you an understanding of the big, yeah, the big picture of how we do it. Right. But like what, what amazed me is that that actually sounds like you require a lot of understanding of those phages, which is actually, you know, in, in the phage community, which we all feel that we just don't have, you know, you, yep. you actually have to understand the infection mechanism of those phages. Some and of them. Some of some them. Of them. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah, and also not, you know the the function of those genes, yeah, to be honest, also the ones you, you want to put into the open breeding frame. Yeah. So 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 how do how do you guys do that? Do you, or I guess maybe this is the time we introduce your team. You know? <laughs> yeah, uh, so I have a very good science team. Uh, we have a lot of we do a lot of bioinformatics. Um, I used to hate that word when I was a student and when I was coming through the school, um, just because again a lot of computations. But it's right. very helpful when we're looking at exactly what you're looking at, gene distinction and what do genes actually do. Mm -hmm. Now, another thing that you said, which, um, again, sounds very true, is that there is not a lot of information out there. Um, for a company, for my company, for instance, we don't publish a lot because I'm not part of the academic stream for publications. It doesn't mean anything for us. Um, so a lot of our internal knowledge that we have, we keep internal to the company. Um but in saying that, again, I have a very good molecular genetic team that deals with all of these issues. And I'll be honest with you, a lot of the genes are transferable, meaning if we find one in a phage system that works for gram negatives, that gene can be easily put into another system that's good for, you know, gram positives and so on and so forth. So um, there's a lot of um, there's a lot of ability for us to use the same genes that we've used in the start. Yeah, that, that, that's really amazing. Uh, I guess my follow-up question is, so you're talking about uh, you were interested in the human health, I guess everyone, you know, working with phages, ultimate goal. <laughs> also the, the biggest, uh, I, I'm, actually, I'm not sure if the agriculture or the human health, but I would assume the human health is actually a bigger market financially compared to the agriculture. Oh, you know, I thought that as well. Uh -huh. Now, here's the thing. Right now, no, because I can treat more chickens than I can humans. Now, when bacteriophage become second nature to the human or to the human health society, like meaning, you know, you go to your doctor, I have an illness, uh, and the doctor says, okay, you can use antibiotics, or you can use phages, or you can use both to get rid of your bacterial infection. This is where I want to get cytophage and phage research in the future, where that doctor knows that there are treatments there, just like ampicillin, he can use, you know, let's call phage, whatever, phage uh, product number two to treat, um, you know, um, this type of bacterial infection. It'll be more targeted. Um, it'll also be more difficult for doctors to understand, but that's where I want to get. Now, mm -hmm. to get there, that's not going to be for another 10 years in industrialized countries. In Canada, I'm going to say 20 years because Again, the regulatory process is just uh, a nightmare. Be optimistic. Uh, so. Yeah, I again, you might get a little bit of pessimism coming out of me um, with the Canadian uh, market just because it's frustrating for me. Um, you know, we've worked really well with the Canadian government. We have consultants that are helping us move it forward through the regulatory process. But it's um, it's not a very good environment. Um, I think I think the Canadian government needs to sit down and really decide what they want to do with phages 
and make that decision. Say, yes, you know, we're going to move forward. And this is how we're going to move forward by helping the phage groups. Um, or we're not interested in looking at this. Don't send us any more applications because we're just going to waste your time and our time. Let's not worry about it. They need to make a decision. And once they make that decision, then it'll be a lot easier to follow through. Right. Um, yeah. Sorry. So you will hear some pessimism coming out of me. Um, and again, that's because I'm a very proud Canadian. And I I felt that, um, you know, the lobbying that we've done so far should have gotten us to a point where at least the Canadian government could have made a, a concept document for phage companies in Canada to follow. Um, but unfortunately, they're just not interested in doing that right now. <laughs> Sorry, I went off track there. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay. Um, I guess an, uh, a follow-up question for the if we're gonna if we shift to uh, the agriculture part, mm -hmm. um, one thing I want to get clear on is the logic of you to treat livestock using antibiotics versus using bacteriophages. Why I got the idea has always been using antibiotics to a certain percent. Is, it has been a little bit preventive. Maybe you add a lot of a tons of antibiotics directly in, you know, in the food, in the water source. So you just don't let it, don't let the bacteria grow. But is that the case for bacteriophages as well? Because you you said you treat this the numbers of chickens. That sounds like patients. You know, you're actually yep. treating the, the chickens that are getting infected instead of you know using a preventive measure. Good, good, good catch. Um, and I did say treating and you're absolutely right. We don't. So we can treat infection when the the, the, the birds are diseased. But generally, we're trying to uh, do a prophylactic. So we treat to give you an example, boiler chickens uh, live for 32 days, um, 32 to 42 days, depending on what country you are. So they only have a short life cycle. And to treat them for its phages, we treat them on day one and day 14. And that will prevent salmonella from being integrated into that chicken population. Um, again, we, we use a, a good dose of, not a good dose, a low dose of bacteriophage, and that is as a preventative. If the birds were diseased, meaning already coming in and they're highly infected with salmonella, then we would have to use a higher dose of, of our phages. And we do remove the disease, but you're still going to have colonization occur because you can't remove it's very difficult to remove colonization in a short period of time, 32 to 42 days. And using phages for that particular um, method is just, it doesn't work as well. Now, if you mixed phages with a bit of antibiotics to treat all of those infected birds, that may work. And that's some of the stuff that we're doing now where uh, we're working with veterinaries in Hungary to show that using combination therapies, how does that actually help diseased birds? For prophylactic, though, antibiotics cannot be used anymore. Uh, we've, you know, again, you're, you being a scientist would know that our antibiotic, um, um, the amount of antibiotics that we can produce are actually diminishing. And actually, they're probably zero now, uh, at least the new ones. And every antibiotic that we produce has a adverse effect on the human population from creating, you know, superbugs, as we all know, but also by changing how humans when they ingest um, antibiotics, how it reacts with them. So it causes many, many problems. And, you know, for us as a phage company, we think prophylactic treatment with bacteriophages gives good gut health for the phages as well as good environmental health. So those diseases, when they come in, they actually get stopped pretty quickly. And that's the principle that we're using for, for agriculture. 
Right. I'm actually glad you brought up the synergetic use of antibiotics and bacteriophages because uh, in one of the episodes we did with Dr. Jeremy Barr, that's in Australia, mm-hmm. he's, his research is on the, um, bringing back the sensitivity of antibiotics by using bacteriophages. Mentioning his paper is that because the bacteriophages target some kind of protein surface structure and, you know, to adapt to that, the bacteria have to lose the surface structure, which makes them more sensitive to the antibiotics, yep. which they were, you know, resistant yep. to before. Yep. And I'll so throw I, another, sorry, yep. I was just going to throw another thing in there. Antibiotics can sometimes stimulate prophage activation. And that's something that we are currently working on where we're creating phages in the prophage form. Mm-hmm. And then you have that present in the animal and then they're treated with an antibiotic. You're actually getting a double dose. You're getting the antibiotic as well as the phage being produced out of that prophage. So Interesting. that's that's in a few years. That's a, a bit of new technology that we're working on. Cool. Yeah. yeah. And do you see like, how do you, how, how like using your bacteriophages in the livestock, I guess it will also eventually shift the bacteria population a little bit. So how do you see that will change? Like maybe maybe you're supplying your product to this company this year, maybe you need to actually change it in a few years to actually make it work more effectively. Yeah, we actually monitor our our areas about every two months. We take samples and we mm-hmm. monitor monitor yeah monitor the bacterial cultures as well as the phage cultures that are there. And we do do modifications um, absolutely because sometimes you know you're treating with a salmonella infection and you have, you know, many serotypes, but let's say one serotype is not as, you know, killed off as the other ones. And we would notice that after we treat for a little while, and then we just change our cocktail to include that serotype. So we do do modifications and that's going to have to happen with phages for the future of, of their uses. Um, it's not going to be as simple as, you know, we made uh, ampicillin, and we're going to put it in a jar and everybody's going to use it. And it's going to be the same. Um, phage companies are going to have to be integrated into their company's usage. So, you know, if I'm selling to a company like Pfizer, um, we're going to continue that relationship every few months to make sure that if there is a modification or a change, we can jump on it right away. My question for you now is how do you deal with your production? You mentioned you use a low dosage and because these phages are uh, infectious, so they will be able to amplify themselves. But still, you know, if you're going to have a lot of, uh, you know, customers across the globe, how do you deal with your production problem? Uh, I, I guess it probably you don't probably need that high of a purity compared to if it's you know therapeutic for human, for human studies. Uh, you, but... you would think. You would think. <laughs> okay, so I'm gonna I'm gonna tell you two stories. Going for regulations in Canada, again, me being scheduled as a drug, they require me to create our phages under GMP processes, Mm -hmm. good manufacturing processes. That does nothing but add to the cost. So for me, I grow our phages. We can grow them in the bacterial strains that we're going after. We've also created not bacteria, um, not as in the zero bacteria, meaning that we know the genetics of it and I can get them to grow my phages for me. And there's really low endotoxins and everything else that come out of it. And if we're using our our genetic program or our genetic phages, we can grow them in yeast. So I have a lot of options to grow bacteriophages. In fact, um, for us, it's really easy. I can create enough bacteriophages in in, um, 
in our manufactory here to treat 3.5 million birds in a couple of days. And it costs me about 33 bucks. So really cheap. If I were to take that and go through the GMP process, that 3.5 million birds now, the cost of it is now over $60,000 to create that. So that's the huge difference that I'm running into as a company. So again, we create them sterilely. Um, they're very safe for use. There's no endotoxins. We check all of the sterility. But because we're not doing it under a GMP process, that is, again, problematic for Canadian and VDD uh, um, stuff. But it increases the cost so much that it makes using phages in Canada economically unviable. So what we're trying to do is we're trying to show that the government, there's other ways of manufacturing that we don't have to follow the drug manufacturing process. And if we follow the phage manufacturing process, which all phage companies, again, would like to promote, then that would be a better path because then the cost, of course, is all cut down. Um, You know, that was one of the issues that I had as a company because you know, I really wanted to get stuff done in Canada, but currently I've already spent about $3 million just on registration data that they required. Um, you know, as a biotech company, you can't do that because right. there's no return. So going back to manufacturing for myself, we create our phages here in-house. Uh, we also create them out of Slovenia. Jafrel is the company that we use, a very good company, lots of experience making bacteriophages. And um, I would say the leading company in the world for GMP practices. If we're doing human treatments or doing large scale animal treatments, again, cost restrictions come with it. If we grow them inside of our own lab, we can grow as many phages as we want, have them pretty sterile, again, sterile for all usage, and it comes at a much lower cost. So for us, I'm doing manufacturing in the countries that I'm selling my product. And I can do that simply by, uh, we've created a modular system for manufacturing using uh, C-cans from, you know, the C-cans. Yeah, mm-hmm. so we have uh, modular systems of manufacturing in it. And I can currently produce about 200 million doses for chickens in a week wow. in, in that manufacturing. And it's simply by using our, our techniques of growing the phages in bacteria, not bacteria or yeast, and the system that we have for the fill and finish is all included in that manufacturing. And again, it's about 33 bucks to create uh, treatment for 3.5 million chickens. Great. Can you Great. tell us a little bit about how does yeast produce bacteriophages? Yeah, so uh, they don't produce them. I'm getting the genetics inside the yeast. Sorry, I'm getting, I'm putting the genetics into the yeast and I'm getting it to replicate inside the yeast. And then we lyse the yeast using lysozyme and we get the phages out. There's no budding or bursting or anything like that. There's nothing that um, the yeast is doing to help grow. All I'm using it is is as a capsule to allow the phages to replicate. And I do that. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Uh, Another aspect you talked to is about about fish. We're actually... (laughs) Yep. Yeah. Because, you know, uh, fish is actually a big problem with bacteria infections. It's almost a little nasty if you look at those pictures. Mm-hmm. Of of all the fish, uh, other fish, you know, getting uh, getting bacteria infections. So, but obviously, you know, to apply the bacteriophage dose in a liquid system is going to be drastically different to you know, like more yeah. solid. Yeah. Wouldn't so work. How, yeah. How? So so okay. So for us, we have a vibrio program, and we have a arctic char program, and a salmon program. 
Mm-hmm. So within those programs, we've created bacteriophage, which will deal with the bacterial infection. The way that, excuse me, the way that we give the feed or give the, the phages to the fish is through their feed. So we lyophilize it or spin dry it onto the food. And then that food is used to get to the species. Now, there's all kinds of timing that you have to really be careful about. Um, as you know, when you put a dry pellet of food into the water, it's going to start to activate the phages because they're going to be um, re, um, sorry, I'm losing the word, uh, re water getting into them, rehydrated. Thank you. <laughs> um, from that, so there's a bit of a timing issue, but using the food is the best way to get the phage to the shrimp or to the fish themselves. And we have good success with it. Um, I am going to say that there is some timing things that you have to work on. Um, but once you have that worked out, you can get a pretty good dose to the actual shrimp using the food itself. Yeah, that's great. So for a company, I see now you are developing, um, you know, more towards agriculture. But how do you, ex- are, are you still expecting a comeback for the clinical trial system, you know, all, all the human you're going to love this. I'm actually doing both now. Um, mm-hmm. So I'm treating patients through a special access program in Canada. Mm-hmm. And just to throw you throw a funny story out there, we don't have to do GMP to treat patients in Canada. Interesting. Yes. Well, again, because if you did do that, you would actually make it cost restrictive. For me right. to do one phage for a human treatment probably cost me $50,000. So, you know, it's just, it, yeah. So it, just an interesting thing, you know, Stephanie Strafty, uh, when she treated her husband, those were not GMP made phages. They right. have specific protocols that they followed to ensure sterility and that there were no, you know, problematic bacteria present. Mm-hmm. But all of the other stuff was just removed because it was, again, not necessary for phages. Um, sorry, I just wanted to throw that out there. Yeah. Um, sorry, what was your question again, specifically for? Yeah, well, the, the company's plan. Yeah. Yeah. So again, we're treating um, special access patients currently. Uh, We're treating prostitutes and urinary tract infections. I get about 15 to 20 emails a week asking for phage therapy in Canada. Unfortunately, again, I went to the Canadian government. I told them about the SAP program. I told them what we do, how we can treat patients. And I really was trying to promote them to get a program developed so Canadians have access to this new therapy. Um, federal government said they weren't interested. Health Canada said not interested. Facts said we're not interested um, and just left it at that. So as a company, I'm personally financing these SAP programs, which means I can only take a certain amount a year. Um, I am trying to find external funding so I can help more people. But it again, the environment in Canada is not very good for phages right now. I'm hoping it's going to change, Steve. That's why I like doing these podcasts. Um, if I complain enough about the government, maybe they'll make an effort and, uh, you know, make make some changes. But um, this SAP program could be easily funded $5 million a year, and we could be treating hundreds of patients in Canada, not only treating them, but getting valuable data how phages work. And that, to me, is the key. So we are doing SAP programs. I also treat pa- patients that are looking for, um, again, phage um, phage relief or phages that will help with their bacterial problems that are out of country. And we're doing that through their governments, again, which works out fairly well. Um, we're also doing some pretty cool things with filamentous phages. Now, you know, we've had COVID. Uh, COVID has been around. We all know that the vaccine came out and the WHO really wanted to get vaccines out to the entire population of the world 
Didn't happen. Now, why didn't it happen? Well, vaccine equity is a huge thing in the world. And the reason it didn't happen is because mRNA vaccines need minus 80 freezers. Uh, the doses are very expensive. All kinds of you know travel and problem storage problems that come with it. What we can do is we can create um, basically a vaccine using a phage as a template. And that filamentous phage that we use, um, again, we have a really, uh, we've developed a bunch of filamentous phages that we found and we've modified them so we can stick large pieces of genetic information on the side of them and use them to stimulate the immune response. So currently we're doing this with coronavirus. Why? Because everybody loves coronavirus and uh, we're kind of proving out the technology, but we want to move it forward as well for uh, any type of respiratory virus like flu, RSV, and so on. And the reason that we're tackling this and the reason that we're using bacteriophages is because we can target the immune response now in humans. So as you well know, coronavirus, you get your vaccine, you get no lethal disease, you get good IgG and IgM productions, but you still have transmission and you can still transmit. Using the phage therapy, we would instill the phage so it would be inside your mucous membrane, and then you would produce IgA, which would actually stop transmission, or at least that's the principle. And it is some of the data that we're getting out of our experiments that we're showing that we do stop transmission. So the reason that we're using this and pushing phages is because with phages, I can create a dose, a vaccination dose for 0.001 cent or, or of a penny. So no, it, basically nothing. No storage issues. We can store them at you know room temperature or at, um, or at um, four degrees and they would have a long life or shelf life. So what we would do is create a vaccine that would get rid of all of those vaccine equity problems. And not only that, it would help advance us uh, so we can pinpoint the the immune response of the of the human to deal with the problem. So again, coronavirus is a transmission problem, not an infection problem. And right now we're not dealing with that with the vaccines that we currently are using. So in the human side, we're not only treating essentially uh, humans using a bacterial phage to kill off that bacterial infection, but we're also taking it one step further, uh, again, using synthetic biology and molecular genetics to create valuable tools, but having the phage as a delivery system, as opposed to the acting, you know, the acting bacteriophage that's going to kill something. Yeah. Great. Well, that's, that's super fun. And it really sounds like you guys are playing around with the molecular biology of phages a lot over there. <laughs> you guys are really having fun over there. We're doing the best we can. Now, you know, I'm going to tell you this, Steve, it, it's been a long road. We still have a lot to learn. Not, we don't have all the answers yet. But in my mind, as a scientist, this is the right path that we have to move with phages. Um, using natural phages, they, there's a lot of limitations, um, but there are some that work well, too. So, you know, I, I never knock natural phages. We actually have many products that are just natural phages. Um, but having the ability to remove certain aspects of a bacteriophage to ensure it doesn't do something you don't want it to do is invaluable. Like it's, it's one of the best things that we could have come across with, uh, with phage research. Great. Well, we're a little short on time here, but before I let you go, tell us about forcytophage. What are some of the resources you're looking for out there? Maybe some potential collaborations and, you know, you already outlined like great plan, great future plan for us. But if there's, are there any kind of specific collaboration you're looking for right now, maybe? You know, I am open to collaborating with everybody. 
Um, if you're a phage researcher out there and you're interested in what we're doing, send me an email. Um, we have lots of science projects that we're doing with universities uh, where I fund, you know, the basic science. And we're not necessarily doing it here, but we'll be doing it, you know, in, in Idaho or in, in other parts of the world. And I, I think that's extremely valuable because science is, is interesting. If you, if you look in academics, a lot of people in academia, academia do the basic research, which is the base of everything that we do. Phages, generally all of the academics that we've seen in the last, you know, 30 or 50 years have given us a lot of base information. And those ones are not being used for commercialization processes. And what, what I'm trying to do is link that knowledge with companies so we can merge those, you know, those ideas. So for me, um, you know, again, I'm, I'm, I, I like collaborating with everybody. I'm open to doing many, many projects, um, not only in animal health, but in agriculture, because again, we're creating phaged products for agriculture. Um, one of our big projects is, is for um, Kosova through the Danforth Institute. Uh, again, we won a competition uh, to move forward with creating phages to deal with a bacterial problem uh, for cassava. This is a huge issue in Africa. Um, you know, we're moving forward in those directions. Now, as an investment part of it, um, you know, as a phage company, as you see many phage companies, uh, we will be going public soon. Um, I have a good base of investors. We're actually doing another raise um, before Christmas. We're bringing in more money into Cytophage because we want to do many of these research ideas that I've been talking about. We want to continue them and move them forward in, in all aspects. Uh, so yeah, we're currently raising money um, and moving forward. I do want to say that uh, we should have been public already. Unfortunately, the world changed a little bit. You know, there's a war going on, COVID and all of that stuff. And it's made the um, investment market quite dry. Uh, so as a company, we're moving through that and trying to get, you know, moving forward. Um, but, you know, I think uh, I think every phage company will say we're always looking for money. So if you have any investors out there or if people are interested in investing, send me an email and I'll, I'll put you in touch with our uh, CFO and our investment group. And then we can uh, move forward in that direction, too. Great. And it's good to have you here. And we're definitely looking forward to, you know, more exciting news from your company. Mm -hmm. No, absolutely. Anytime you need any information, give me a holler. And if you're ever in Winnipeg, come for a visit. Um, yeah. I'll definitely show you around the lab and show you some of the neat stuff that we're doing. One, Great. I'll leave you with one thing. One of the things that we're doing that's pretty interesting is we're developing modular lab systems. And the reason I'm saying that is because when we do that, it decreases the costs of your buildings. And because they're modular lab systems, you can actually um, increase your productivity and decrease your costs of building a lab. And that's what we're doing right now. We're actually building a um, research facility, a manufacturing facility, and an animal facility all here in Winnipeg. And uh, we're going to be putting it together. It's going to be uh, basically a phage research center in Canada. And wow. uh, yeah, we're doing it through private money. Um, again, governments aren't really interested in doing too much right now, but um, we have enough private money to move it forward. And I think it's going to be a really good thing for Canada. By modular system, do you mean automated system? That's uh... No, I mean a modular system as in, um, you know, a CCAN system. I, I know that sounds funny, but it's using labs that are already built. And then you just move them into a warehouse and you work off of those labs um, within a modular system. So if I need any renovations done, it's very cheap and very simple. But Got if it. you have a brick and mortar lab, if you do renovations, you're now increasing your overhead and your cost just to change something out. And with phages, it's really easy for us to say, okay, we're working with, 
you know, salmonella, we're going to work with it in this area. And then everything that has to be do with salmonella is there. So we don't have any cross contamination or any issues with, you know, yeah, cross contamination is something that we really want to skip and then move away from. But because we're doing so many projects, we want to modularize it so it's in a different area. And doing that with sea cans and uh, developing these labs and putting them into a warehouse, it's just a lot more functional. Great. Yeah, that makes all the sense. All right. Thanks for your time and talk soon. Anytime. Thanks, Steve. Take care. That's Dr. Stephen Derriot, CEO and CSO at Cytophage Technologies. I'm Stephen Young, and you're listening to the Phage Therapy Today podcast. If you like what you're hearing, follow, subscribe, and give us five stars. If you have stories to share or have any feedbacks, email us at phagetherapytoday at gmail.com. Thanks for listening, and have a great November. <music>